Welcome to the Living Ageless and Bold podcast. I'm your host, Christina Daves, and in each episode, I bring you amazing women who inspire, educate, and share their experiences and journeys along the way. So grab a glass of wine or a cup of coffee, find a cozy spot, and let's relax and have some fun hearing what can be accomplished after 55. I am super excited. My friend, Dr. Melissa Batchelor, is a registered nurse. She is an expert in all things aging, dementia, Alzheimer's, you know, and how to age gracefully. And she is also the, let me get this right, the director for the Center for Aging, Health, and Humanities at George Washington University. And I know that she testifies on front of Congress about all things aging. So we are in for a treat today. Thanks. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, I'm excited. You, I met you years ago. You just have so much knowledge. And while we were going back and forth on what are we going to have this episode about, I thought maybe she can be like a monthly or quarterly guest because you have so much to offer. So our audience is for women over 55. So in, in this episode, I want to focus on us. I read somewhere that 30 to 45% of dementia and Alzheimer's comes from our, how we live our lives. So, so tell us, you're the expert. Tell us about that and tell us, you know, what do we do to not get to that place? There is a lot more within our control than we previously thought. I think a lot of people think that genetics plays a really big role, but it actually has a smaller role in, in your risk factor for developing any type of dementia. And dementia is like the broad umbrella term and Alzheimer's is just one type of dementia. So that accounts for like 60 to 70% of dementias. So it is the most common form. That's really where our brain, you know, begins to shrink and shrivel. And so that's really what causes a lot of the cognitive problems. But there's also like frontal lobe dementia, and that's where the front part of our brain um, begins to to not work very well. But then you could also have dementia related to like vascular issues. If you've had high blood pressure that hasn't been controlled, you know, any type of heart disease, and then you have Lewy body dementia. So, but there are really like 60 to 70 different types. But from a nursing perspective and a care perspective, we really treat all forms of dementia the same way. But, you know, when you look at risk factors for anyone, it really is the lifestyle choices that we make that really have a bigger impact on our brain, on our brain and cognitive health. And that's actually really good news because that means that we can control it. What are the lifestyle choices? What do we need to be doing today? And can we start today? Can we erase the damage we've done? You know, I'm 56 years old. How can I change starting today? Right. So it's never too late. And if you think that it's too late, that is a, an ageist thought pattern you know, because just because you're getting older, it's never too late to do anything. And so in this realm, it's really around kind of diet, nutrition, sleep, you know, getting enough water, kind of all the basic kind of wellness things that we all hear about a lot, but it's really just kind of doing, doing those things. So are you moving every day? And the good news about movement is that you don't have to train for a marathon or be working out in the gym, but you need to get your butt off the couch and put on your tennis shoes and go walk and try to get at least 10,000 steps in every day. If you can do some weight, weight bearing exercises or strength training 
those are really good for us as we age. They also prevent falls. So the lifestyle choices, making sure that you're exercising, diet, getting enough sleep, they impact a lot of things. And so what protecting you from Alzheimer's disease is just one of those. So those are kind of the big things, seven to eight hours of sleep every night, making sure you're getting enough water. Our brains are primarily made up of water. And so, you know, making sure that you drink a, you know, a glass of water when you wake up every morning and then making sure that you're drinking throughout the day is important for your brain. And then making sure you get those steps in and then looking at nutritionally, it's really about making sure that you're not, that you're eating like clean. I mean, there are a lot of different names for diets, you know, but the Mediterranean diet is really the one that's most recommended in this space and actually overall for promoting health and well-being and protecting our brain. So, and I've heard of the Mediterranean diet, but what is it? Like, what are we, what should we be eating? What should we stay away from? So the Mediterranean diet has a large slant towards more like seafoods and lean meats. So not as much red meat and then, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables. So the way I think about it is if it's around the out, the perimeter of a grocery store <laughs> and it's in its own wrapper, you know, like a banana or an orange, you know, those are non-processed foods. And that's really what's best for our body. When you think about the middle of a grocery store, anything that's in a box and has ingredients that you don't recognize what they are, that's a processed foods. And so we want to eat more real foods that are closer to their natural source instead of, and stay away from processed foods. And there are enough cookbooks and recipe books out there around the Mediterranean diet that it's, it's really not that difficult to do. Fun fact, speaking of processed foods, today the Twinkie turned 93. <laughs> the Twinkie is a processed food, <laughs> but it's aged well. That makes me laugh because we just saw the movie Air, which is a setup, I guess, back when Michael Jordan, you know, started wearing the Nike air shoes, how they got the deal. And there's a lot of scenes in the kitchen, you know, like where Google has the free food and it's remember snowballs, like the big snowballs and Twinkies and things like that. And just looking at that, I thought, wow, that was standard fare in an office 30 years ago. And now it's yogurts and granolas, and at least we're moving in the right direction. Right. And I also think that everything should be about balance and moderation, you know? So I think if like, I would eat a Twinkie today. I don't have any, but you know, if somebody brought some by, I mean, I haven't had a Twinkie since I was like five, you know? So I also think it's about not saying I can't do something and never do it. Like I can never enjoy sweets, but you know, but we should kind of not eat a lot of sweets. We need to watch our salt you know, you can have wine, but, you know, maybe not a bottle every night, you know, just like, you know, <laughs> you know, four to five ounces is a serving. So I think it's a lot about serving size, watching your portions, and then just trying to eat more natural foods than processed foods are really, is really the big takeaway. And a theme that I'm finding as I'm interviewing more people for this, you know, at this age, we've raised our kids, most of us, you know, most of the kids are gone. We're empty nesters. We spend a lot of time and you and I both have kids who are athletes and you're feeding them. These kids are burning thousands and thousands of calories. So you're trying to give them carbs and feed them that stuff. And you're kind of in that diet and then they're gone and 
basically what I'm saying is don't beat yourself up. Like start with these baby steps. We all, I don't know about you all. I gained weight when my kids were teenagers and then they left. I'm like, Oh, okay. Now I want to get better. And I started walking every day and I love walking. And then now I've incorporated weights into my walking and it just, it feels good and it's good for my brain. And, but you just have to start, just cut, cut one thing out. Or, or like you said, don't, you know, I love ice cream and we don't keep it in the house anymore. When the kids were here, that was really tough. But sometimes we just go out for ice cream because it's yummy. <laughs> it makes you feel good. Yes. And it's a treat and it's a reward and we should reward ourselves. Yeah. And having ice cream every now and then is okay. Yeah. If you didn't, if you deprived yourself of that, you might eat ice cream every day, you know? So, so it really is about that balance and then making sure you're not doing anything negative, like, you know, smoking, drinking, you know, those are the, those are really the biggest things. And then other things that keep your brain healthy that, that are also part of our part of a lifestyle are having friends and family and the, so, the social piece of us. Well, you know, I think if anything, COVID taught a lot of people that, you know, we are social creatures and we do need human connection. And as we age, we need to really make an effort to make new friends, maintain friendships, you know, and obviously make, try to make sure all these relationships are healthy, you know, don't hang out with the toxic folks, but all those things matter. Also lifelong learning needs to be a part of what we're all striving to do. So that's, even if you just picked one new thing that you wanted to learn how to do in a month, you know, and just making sure you're always trying to learn new things because you're using your brain to do that. Like, for example, I decided I'm going to wallpaper my bedroom. I'm like, I've never wallpapered anything, but I'm like, I can do it. And that's like a physical and a cognitive challenge. <laughs> Cause I was like, how does this actually work? That's a big challenge. I've tried that before, <laughs> so, but I tried it before there were, was YouTube. So now you have, I know my daughter did that when she was little, she wanted me to French braid her hair. And I said, I don't know how to French braid. And she's like, here, watch this. I'm like, oh, okay. So yeah, YouTube, there's no excuse. We could learn something new every single month just by going to YouTube. Right. And it's, it's really is that simple. You know, or reading a book or joining a book club. You know, if you're if you join a book club that gets you reading, it stimulates your brain, but it also then puts you in you know the book club meeting when everyone talks about the book. You know, so all of those things are important. So you don't have to go back to school to get another degree. You know, and you get to be a self-directed learner, which is different than when you were in school and someone else, like a faculty member, told you what you had to know and what you had to do, but it's learning anything, whether hair and makeup or finances, you know, or how to crochet or knit. Another really important thing for our brains is around creativity. And a lot of people get kind of freaked out about that word because they're like, oh, I'm not an artist. But I mean, even what you and I are doing today is a creative work. You know, it's, we're talking about our areas of expertise, but putting it together in this type of package is a creative thing, you know, but there are opportunities for going out to paint or dance. So lots of different ways. I'm obsessed with AI. I'm obsessed with chat GPT. And what's really interesting is it's making me more creative. When I put something into it, like I ask it a question and it comes back with something, I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Now I can go in a different direction. So that's really sparking some creativity, the AI component. 
Yeah, I actually saw one of your podcasts or listened. I don't know if I was out walking and listening. I tend to do my most of my listening while I'm walking. But I and I was like, Christine is always like on it. Like that whole AI thing has come out, and I'm like, I don't really have time to deal with that. And I was like, but she's already looking at it from like a marketing perspective. We've been looking at it in academics, you know, about the impact of you know college students trying to write essays. But you're right. Even some friends of mine have used it in trying to write scientific publications. And it's a good place to start, but there's luckily still the human component of critical thinking and looking at it to say, that's sort of right, but here's how I could take it to the next level. And so that's actually really good. So you did two things there. You learned a new skill (laughs) and then applied it. Yeah. So I was like, way to make my point. (laughs) Thank you. So what about games? Like they say, oh, you should you know, do Sudoku. And I have this word crush game that I play every day, just kind of getting my brain going in different directions and picking out words or wordle. Should we be doing, I mean, does that really help? Yeah. So actually my mom and I are into boggle all of a sudden. My brother bought us a boggle. big boggle. Yeah. Bought us this big boggle game. And I'll tell you why the word finding ones really are good. Like, I don't think you need to pay for a membership, but I mean, The wordle is good. One of the things that happens with Alzheimer's disease is you lose verbal fluency. And so one of the the screening tools that we do is we ask you to write down as as many words that start with a certain letter in like one minute. And my mom and I, when we play Boggle, like we're getting, you know, 20, 25 words, didn't really see a big contrast and then like my grandmother who hadn't been playing and part of it too is like if you didn't if you haven't played it takes you a little bit to see all the different combinations you know but was getting like two and three but the but then the more she played she was able to see the words in her list got longer and so it is important because you're having to retrieve information but you're doing it through a game which makes it more fun and so the more you do that, the, because it's just like now, like we already know, like this word spelled this way, I can spell it that way and I get two. <laughs> so you begin to game the game. But yes, so you know, there are companies making up a lot of money off of people's fears. You know, like you have to pay my subscription and do this particular product, you know, or the, and if you do this, you'll prevent Alzheimer's. It doesn't have to be that. It could be a crossword puzzle you know, so it doesn't have to be expensive or just sitting down and saying, how many words can I think of to start with the letter F in a minute and count up how many you have. And then just keep doing that with a different letter each day. You will actually begin to recall more words, but if you only end up with like four or if you ask someone to do that and they could only come up with four, you probably need to get them in to see someone. Cause I could see somebody taking this information and asking their aging parent to be like, Hey, let's see how many words we can get in a minute. So it is also something to pay attention to verbal fluency is one. And how many, I mean, is one crossword puzzle, one little game, you know, five minutes a day, does that do enough or should you really designate, okay, I'm going to spend 30 minutes just doing crossword puzzles or boggle or, you know, games on my phone. Yeah. I mean, I think if you just make an effort to put a few minutes and I don't, there's, I don't know of any evidence that says it has to be 30 minutes every day, but I think it's really more about 
actively using your brain. So you think about there, I know that in my day, most of my day is spent thinking and creating and problem solving. So by the end of the day, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. I'm just going to watch Netflix because so what I'm doing is I'm consuming somebody else's creativity. And so what you want to do is just make sure that you're not always a passive receiver of information that you're actively solving problems on your own. And I think that as we age, if you end up in a situation where you live alone and you're not as connected to other people, I think that's really been a big problem because you're not interacting with people. Like I I used to see patients that would come into the nursing home and their families would be like, Oh my gosh, like she's here. She's doing so great. She's like a social butterfly. She's here and there. And I'm like, yeah, so you should think about that. How long has she been by herself in her home with no human interaction? It is bad for your brain. It's bad for your physical being, you know, emotionally. So you do need to get out and about and, and interact with people. We saw that what it did to people at home. My, my in-laws were in an assisted living facility you know, a tiny little one bedroom, you know, they would go out and socialize. It was fine. And when they were locked down, you know, they'd bring the food to the door. And so that was February when we finally saw them in August, my mother-in-law, who was this boisterous, like knew everybody, big, huge personality, could, could not walk anymore because she had been cooped up and hadn't been around people. And she passed in less than a year after that. It was very sad, but Really I'm aggravated about that whole thing because you know what, if we had done that to, we did that to a million Americans during COVID. And I've done several episodes on this. If those had been college students, the entire world would have been upset and outraged that we put a hundred, we put a million college students in solitary confinement, but that's what we did to older adults. And that is an example of, it's an example of ageism <laughs> and our long-term care system. So I have a, that's like a whole nother tangent. But we saw it. The point is we saw what, why you need to have interaction, why you need to use your brain at any age. And that was my point. All of these things are lifelong. So you do start them, you know, when you're younger, but it doesn't change just because you turn a certain age. You know, you need to, you know, you can't say to yourself, and this is a self-imposed ageist remark. If you say, well, I'm 80. I don't really need to go out and see people. Yeah, you may not want to go out, but you do need to make an effort to to remain engaged in society every day. But you know, you need to have some social outlet for yourself as you age. So, and let me ask you cuz you know, we joke about this all the time, you know, brain fog and I'm I get, feel like I'm more forgetful at my age now, or I'll think of something and it's like, oh, what was I just thinking about? And of course you think, oh, dementia, Alzheimer's, because I'm 56 and that could be it. Is it just our brains are in overload and there's so much going on or, or, you know, should we be concerned that we're becoming more forgetful? Is that the next stage of life and we can do these exercises, which will help that? Or any thoughts on that? Yeah. So actually on one of my podcasts talking about normal aging, versus Alzheimer's disease. And, you know, I think at any age, you can have too much going on and it impacts your memory. You could not have gotten a good night's sleep the night before. That's going to impact your memory. You know, so there are lots of things that 
some of some is like just a normal part of aging. Like you walk in the room and you're like, what was I in here for? You know, um, but if you can, you know, usually we can look around the environment and trigger a cue of some sort that reminds us why we were in there or it comes back to us in just a few minutes. So that's all kind of normal related to aging. The problem is when that recall doesn't come back, you walk into a room, you don't remember why you're there and you never remember why you went in there or you just forget and go off and do the next thing. Um, But so, so I don't think you should worry. I think you're probably fine. Yeah. It's just because we're all talking about it at this age. Now sleep. And we've had a lot of people on, you know, different health and nutrition. You're talking about sleep for mental health and aging. But we're also at an age where our bodies are going through a lot of stuff and we're not sleeping well. What, you know, what uh, we know we need seven to eight hours. And I find myself like I'll sleep on the weekends. I sleep great. I might sleep until eight. You know, normally we have a set time. We get up at 630. I know I'm supposed to keep that on the weekends, but I don't. But then I find on Sunday night, I can't sleep. If I've slept Friday night, really good, you know, 10 or 12 hours Friday and Saturday night, forget it on Sunday night. I'm just in bed wide awake. Yeah. And I think that's because you got too much on the one day. Like if you're used to getting eight and then you get 10 to 12. But what about like the menopause and, you know, you've got night sweats. I know we're supposed to get seven hours, but I also know talking to my girlfriends, most of us don't. Right. Or you could have two cats, one of which likes to lay on you in the middle of the night. I'm like, you don't want any attention during the day, but you're waking me up. It's like a baby. (laughs) Right. So I think from that perspective, it's really, you know, giving yourself permission to take a nap. Like if you don't sleep well one night, you know, take a nap the next day. And I tend to not do, I just need like a little power nap, you know, and I think trying to establish the routine, making sure, and there's a whole thing called sleep hygiene about, you know, making sure that you use your bedroom, you know, just for sleep and for sex, which I'm like, yay. Making sure you go to bed at the same time every night. If it's your, if it's something that you can control, like I, I'm the same way with the hot flashes, you know, it's like, why am I so hot? But if I were waking up to go to the bathroom, you know, every you know three to four hours, then I probably should stop drinking fluids around you know dinner time, six or seven o'clock in the evening, and not drink you know, all the way up until bedtime. So think about if there are modifiable reasons why you're waking up at night, and you know, and kind of go from there. Sometimes it's situational. I also think we probably shouldn't beat ourselves up if we don't get you know seven to eight hours every night. But if you miss an hour, then that's a sleep deficit. And so you would you could make up that one hour over the weekend. But if you were kind of on cue all week and then you oversleep, which is what you kind of, what you just described, then you're gonna end up not being able to go to sleep in the evening. So so I think it's just about trying to balance it out. So forty nine to fifty six hours a week we should be sleeping. Right. And it doesn't all have to be at night. It could be, you know, if I know I'm only going to get six hours of sleep, then I'm going to be making sure that where am I building in the nap this afternoon? (laughs) Okay. That's going to be the big social media post that we put out. We are all supposed to nap. Yeah. Well, I've got napping equipment. Like I actually have like special naps for my, (laughs) it's like, what is that weighted blanket eye cover? (laughs) Yeah. I have like two blankets. One, they're soft and fuzzy. You know, I got other blankets that are out in my living room, like for anybody to use, but I have like one that's like special for me. One side is like regular and the other side is like fluffy. And I'm like, this is my napping blanket. 
Oh, we joke about having blankies in our 50s. It's that soft blanket that you just can cuddle with. It. I think it's no different than the kids' blankies that they had. It's their comfort. They're, that's how they relax and go to sleep. That's how we relax and go to sleep. It is. I mean, just like I said before, just because you get older doesn't mean any of those needs have changed. You might meet them a little bit differently, but yeah. I, so to me, it's about, you know, kind of life's simple pleasures. It's like taking a nap, getting an ice cream, you know, once a week. Those are kind of simple pleasures that you do need to, there's so much stress in the world that, you know, relaxation, meditation or other things, you know, to try to incorporate so that you're not just on the go all the time. And then you just go to bed, you know, figure out how do you build in some downtime too. And that keeps your brain happy. We were talking in another episode about the, even just the walking, what that does for your endorphins and just... I feel if I don't take that, my husband and I go every morning for a walk. And if I don't do it, it kind of doesn't kickstart my day the way I like to. Like I love, I feel so good when I get back and then, you know, I take a shower and get ready for work and I feel really good about it. Yeah. The other thing you're doing by walking in the morning is you're getting that exposure to sunlight and natural light to start your day. And that actually helps with your circadian rhythm. So keep doing that. But yeah, natural light first thing in the morning you know, 10 to 15 minutes is really good for everyone. I love this. And I've had several guests in different categories, all saying the same thing. So we're really seeing a pattern here of walk in the morning, right? Get the vitamin D, get the, they talked about the circadian rhythm also. All right, let's talk about ketones. Good, bad, indifferent. So I actually just did two episodes with an expert in ketones. And, you know, she was talking, she was a physician. And so I trust her opinion and the deep dive that she had done into ketones. I do want to clarify because even I made this mistake. I was talking to a dietitian and I did the ketone um, podcast when she was talking about using like the coconut oil. um, I think it was coconut oil, something like that. But that's different than like the keto diet. So I think we need to be really clear about what the term ketones mean. If anything, like if I felt like anything's worth trying, you just don't want to, you want to go too far. And one of the, a lot of times people will hear one little nugget about something and then they take it to the extreme. So again, it goes back to, to balance. Um, But the keto diet, like putting yourself into ketosis to lose weight, I don't think that's a good idea. Again, it goes back to balance and not stressing your body out, but, you know, and making sure that you do your research around any supplements that you're taking and work with your healthcare provider to make sure that there's not a drug-drug interaction with that supplement. Um, so, because most people over the age of 65 are taking, you know, at least five prescription medications. And, you know, and, and people think, oh, well, this is just a supplement. Well, I mean, it wasn't long ago, there was some lady on the news, like a politician's wife, who like died from the supplement she was taking. And so it is a big concern that you, when you go to see your healthcare provider, if you're going to change anything to reach out to them first, if you're taking prescription medications. But even if you're not asking your pharmacist, are there any interactions between these two supplements because there can be and there are programs online where you can check to make sure that they're not fighting against each other or they're not accelerating the effect of each other 
But anything you're putting into your body like that, there's a, there can be a danger to it too. So don't do things in isolation. Like I basically take a multivitamin and like, I think vitamin C like during the, like the cold and flu season and that's it because you, that's just my personal philosophy. That's really all you kind of need. And the multivitamin is more for insurance, not for, not for anything else. Oh, plus with, oh, I had a vitamin D deficiency. That's why I started doing that because I'm inside a lot for my job, but that's why going outside, you know, helps that. And that was to prevent osteoporosis and bone. Yeah. So just a basic multivitamin is all you need. And ask your doctor because they're, I mean, they've got your health records. They know, you know, your allergies and all of that stuff. So that's important because I'm like you, I don't take a lot, but then I'm thinking, well, maybe I should be osteoporosis and, you know, brain health and things like that. So it is important to always check, even though I like to call myself Dr. Daves and do my internet research, (laughs) it's probably not a good idea. So, Well, it depends, but again, I think working with your healthcare provider and when you go to see your healthcare provider, we call it a brown bag approach where we just say, put everything in a brown bag that you take, whether it's a prescription drug, whether it's a supplement or a vitamin, if it's, you know, some, anything over the counter that you take. So I think that a lot of times when people are thinking through like, what do I take? You might actually be taking more than you think. You know, if you have a lot of different supplements, cause you don't think of them all in the same way as the same thing. This is my prescription, but that's my vitamin and that's my supplement. But still, when you put all that together, there could be a lot of interactions that you're actually causing health problems for yourself that you don't need just because you're buying into the, you know, either the big vitamin and supplement, you know, marketing strategy. So again, for me, it's like, it's just about balancing what is it that I truly need? The rest of my multivitamin, I said, again, it's my insurance, but eating my, my diet is where most of our food, our nutrition should come from. Right. I love this. I can't wait to have you on again. And I'm going to totally throw you under the bus because I've known you for a long time, but I don't know for sure if you're over 50 or not. Are you? Yeah. I know we've got kids sort of the same age. So I guess today I can tell you I am 50 and end of May. No, no. May, the end of May okay. is, I'll be 51. So as of today, yeah, I'm in the 50 club. I joined RP. They, do you have a choice? They just send it to you. Well, they just send it to you. You have a choice to join it, but I did. Okay. Oh, that's so funny. Well, since you've been here for 11 months, the question that we ask everybody, and you might not be there, we can go back a little bit in your late forties, but what's your greatest accomplishment since turning 50, since, you know, late forties, when you really felt into your skin and you felt, you know, you've got this, like we're, I just think we just turn a corner at 50 in the confidence space and what we're doing. So what's your greatest accomplishment so far? Um, I would say, well, my podcast hit top 10% globally in November of last year. Tell everyone again, the name of the podcast, because everyone needs to go check it out. Yeah. It's called, this is getting old, moving towards an age-friendly world. And you could find it under that title or Melissa B PhD is all my social media stuff. So you can follow me on social, find my YouTube channel, and then the podcast is in five different audio platforms. So Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, and Pandora is what's the latest one. 
And congratulations. I think the last time we were in person together was before COVID and you were getting ready to launch it. So that's amazing. Awesome. The reason I think that it's not just that metric, doing a podcast was really the first time I think I felt like I could use my own voice. I mean, it takes a lot to, you know, to say something and then put it out on YouTube and kind of to own your expertise. And right before COVID, when I was starting the podcast, you know, they were talking about, you know, fever was like, you know, the main sign and then yada, yada. And I thought, you know what though, the biggest risk group are older adults and they often don't get fevers. But if you're not in geriatrics, you're not going to know that. You have to look for a change in their mental status. That's typically what their brain's going to be impacted, but they're not going to launch a fever. And I remember sitting down to record that podcast and I was so nervous. And I'm like, why am I nervous? Like, this is what I do. <laughs> and I'm like, because it was, I'm going to use my voice to add to this con- this conversation. So that's why. And you have so much to add to this conversation. You're so smart. And so that's why I want everyone to check out your podcast for our age and for our parents. And I'm going to have Melissa come back to talk about, if she will, our aging parents and, and how we handle that because our parents are living longer and we're younger and healthier and doing all that. So that's our next episode with you if you'll come back. Absolutely. I'll come back anytime. I always have fun talking to you. <laughs> And last question, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Well, the big, hairy, audacious goal is I want this podcast to turn into a television show. And it will be a blend of Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, and Fixer Upper. And it really is about helping us move this conversation about aging in America into a positive tone, connecting people to resources, giving people ideas of solutions for how we can age successfully, and helping not only us as we age, but as we're caring for aging parents, because there's so much people don't really want to talk about aging or thinking about it until they get there. And, you know, we, and when I talk about aging, most people think I'm talking about the boomers, but because they typically traditionally been the largest generation, but three years ago, the millennials took over as the largest generation. And two years ago, they started turning 40. So the reason my podcast is called This Is Getting Old is because we now have, there's a lot that's not in place. That's what's getting old, not the fact that we're aging. So we now have an, we have a window of about 25 years to really change our culture and how we do things so that we're ready for the millennials. As a Gen Xer, I can say that. (laughs) No, and I know that you're going to get your TV show and I know that you're making change, just having this and sharing your voice with the world. So thank you. And thank you for sharing it with my audience. I so appreciate you. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening or for watching this episode of Living Ageless and Bold. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit subscribe. And if you like the episode, I hope that you will give us a great review. You can also head over to livingagelessandbold.com and sign up for information, inspiration, and exclusive opportunities for us, women over 55. Thanks for listening. And remember, no matter what you do, keep living ageless and bold.